Welcome to Ascension Cast. This is a podcast of the Church of the Ascension, and we are in our Acts project. Today, we're going to take on Acts chapters 3 and 4. I'm Robbie Lockett. I'm Jarrett Blue. And I'm Alexander Thomas. Hello. Hello, everyone. We're glad to have you joining us this time. We're going to start off with a, a one of Luke's uh, sort of really good literary pieces here, where he's got a, a kind of a gripping story to lead us off in Acts chapter three. <laughs> uh, we are uh, we are at the temple in Jerusalem, and Peter and John are walking up, and they see uh, a man who has been lame from birth. Uh, we find out a little bit later that he's forty years old, uh, and he's at the gate of the temple. They call it the beautiful gate. Uh, and he's there begging as people pass by on their way into the temple complex, um, just asking for any kind of help he can get. Uh, he sees Peter and John come by. Uh, he asks for money because that's what he asks everybody who comes by so that he can use that money and get uh, you know, a little bit of food, a little bit of something to stay warm with. And uh, Peter and John look straight at him and they tell him, look at us. So he looks up with, and, and Luke tells this story so well, he looks up expecting to get something from them. You can just imagine trying to film this in the, uh, almost the slow motion and in all of that kind of scene and the, the expectation in this poor man's eyes. Uh, and so Peter leads with, I don't have any silver or gold. And um, I mean, what a letdown, right? I mean, he's hoping... <laughs> that these guys are going to help him out for the day. And instead, they've let him down. They don't have any silver or gold. But Peter doesn't stop there. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Uh, which is cool. I mean, you know, you could say something like that. Uh, and I'm sure the guy thought, great, here's just people talking to me or whatever. Um, but in this case, uh, his... Uh, they reached out, they took him by the hands, and his feet and his ankles became strong, and he stood, and he jumped, and he started to walk, and he went into the temple with him. And, uh, you know, here this guy clearly knew Psalm 100, uh, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and enter into his courts with praise. He walks into the temple, jumping, leaping, praising God, um, and um, everyone was astonished to see what happened. Um, it, you know, I think it's really interesting that Luke, um, as he's transitioned out, you know, we ended our last episode talking about how um, Luke told us about the birthday of the church, more <laughs> or less. And so now Luke has moved across, um, and here's the church in action. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that happens is Peter and John, the apostles, two of the, the leaders of the apostles, go and they heal somebody in the name of Jesus. And so that's going to get us into, you know, this seems great. They're off, they're running, they are healing in the name of Christ. This is, this is wonderful. And, but instead what we're going to find out is this actually gets them into a ton of trouble. <laughs> and to kind of help make sense of that and to help make sense of why Luke tells us all of these things in the way that he does, I think it's useful to back up just a couple of verses to the end of chapter 2 at verse 46, where Luke says, 
uh, actually, verse 45, excuse me, he said, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And then he describes that every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, the teaching of the apostles and praising God and enjoying his favor. And so I think that is uh, going to lead us into a, a place where Luke uh, ends another section mm-hmm. um, with exactly that. And so there's this sort of structure there. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you guys a really big word because it, a lot of the Bible uses this type of poetry and we call it a chiasm or something that we'll call a chiastic structure. And it can sound really, really scary, but it's not that complicated, I promise. And, and it'll actually be really fun when you get to learn it. So a chiasm is a type of um, poetic structure that goes A, B, C, B, A. But it doesn't do it by rhyming. It does it by themes or by stories. And so a lot of times when you'll see the Psalms, you'll hear things that are repeated. And sometimes you might find whole chapters in the Bible that are part of a chiastic structure. And that's actually what we see right here in Acts. So usually the way that they go is it'll start off with a statement. Um, There'll be some other statements and they parallel. And the beginning and the ending statement are the same. And those parallels will be similar or the same. But the focal point for a chiastic structure is what's in the middle. And so chapter 2, verse 46, actually starts this chiastic structure that's going to span all of chapter 3, all of chapter 4, and all of chapter 5. In verse 246, it says, Day by day they spent their time together in the temple. They broke breads at homes. They ate their food with gladness and generous hearts. And it describes what the uh, new church was doing. They went to the temple and they met in houses. And the very last verse of chapter 5 ends with that same way of describing uh, what the new church was doing. They went to the temple and they met in each other's houses. And in the middle, we're going to see these two stories that um, Peter is preaching and people don't really like what he's saying and he gets arrested. And then there's this middle two stories. And we're going to find them at the very end of chapter four, in the very beginning of chapter five. And so even though this spans a little more of what we're saying today, it is good to point to that last section of chapter four. And that's where we're going to see kind of the heart of what the church is. The heart of the church isn't that they went to the temple. And it's not just that they studied and prayed together. Um, It's this outflowing of the spirit that spreads to those around them. And that's when they share their things in common. They share their life. They sell their possessions and they support one another and they give to the poor. And so this chiastic structure, it can be a little complicated. We might not bring it up again in the rest of Acts, but it is important just to note that throughout these chapters, it might sound a little repetitious and that's intentional. It's on purpose. And that's because Luke is painting this story where he's saying the church They meet together in the temple, in houses, but that has this effect where they become a a people that share everything together and they serve and support the poor and one another. So an interesting thing in um, the first few um, verses of chapter three is you're still dealing or, you know, coming across a miracle here. And it's, you know, interesting for the fact that the healing has occurred and the the, the crippled beggar is then 
so you, overjoyed, which we all can imagine, we would be of that same mindset that they that he goes into the temple to celebrate, and there's no kind of you know stop. I need to think mm -hmm. about it. I'm going to just go out and celebrate and let everyone know about it, and I'm doing it in the temple, like in your face. Mm -hmm. But then when we look back to Luke and we start thinking about the other miracles that took place, whether it was um, thinking about a blind man, thinking about um, the the widow's son that was you know raised from or, or healed i think that's the the parable um there's more or less a, a delay in which the when that blessing that miracle is shared with others and you know one thought can be the reason for that is just for the fact that that was not a part of jesus's timeline mm -hmm. you know so if you know, he there was a clear timeline that he was under. I guess he really didn't know his father's t knowing when the crucifixion was going to take place. But there there was a plan at work, and so if the the like the the religious leaders in that community were on knowing what knowing what he was up to at that time, that would escalate that plan beyond than what God really wanted mm. at that time. But when we get to Acts, what we're finding is that. You know that there's no there's no restrictions on what someone does with that mm -hmm. blessing. The time is now. The it's time to for people to know that there's been a miracle to take place, and for everyone to to act accordingly. Mm -hmm. I think that that is something something unique, and maybe something that we all can dig back as we look at the parables within Luke to mm -hmm. see how they how th th maybe when a miracle takes place in Acts, how does that line up with what we see what we saw in Luke. Mm -hmm. I think you know the idea there of you know the time is now uh, all through the prophets you keep hearing this looking forward to that day and the day of the Lord and when the day comes and uh, a discussion of kind of uh, you know when the fullness of time has has come and just practically speaking there's been a lot going on in Jerusalem at this point uh, that we've covered, including, um, you know, a, a death and resurrection and ascension uh, and a, a descending of the Spirit. So it's not like they can hide anymore. Uh, and so uh, filled with the Spirit, you see Peter just walk out boldly uh, and, and start proclaiming the day, the day. Yeah. And the is the day the spirit the day the spirit came, or just the day that God's working again? And you know, I think certainly we can get caught up on uh, the idea of a day. Um, we could we could go get caught up on it at the first yeah. of Genesis <laughs> if we wanted to, uh, but I think you know, um, sure we could take that as this day, mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, as Peter did uh, earlier on this day of Pentecost. But also, I think we could take it as just kind of this this day and age, yeah, uh, sort of a idiom. Hmm. I, I think some other things that might pop up as you're reading through this story is there's a mention of all these different gates, um, and just real briefly is these are just the gates that you use to walk into the temple. So we don't really know what the beautiful gate was, but it was probably a very ornate and a very large gate on the outside of the temple grounds, and that just meant that everyone walked through it. Um, it was probably the largest of the gates. Um, it was maybe made from bronze, whereas the others were gold and silver, but it was more expensive because it was just so large and big. It would take bunches of people to move it. But that just means everyone saw this guy. Um, everyone knew that he was there, 
which just goes in when he's healed, it's a public big deal. It's, it's a little different than Jesus's uh, healing stories because here everyone knows it. Everyone's like, wait, that's the guy that, that sat, you know, right there on the, the corner of I-40. Everyone's seen that guy. Uh, and so, you know, it's a pretty big deal. And, and I always just find it interesting how descriptive it is. Um, immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, jumping up. He stood, he began to walk. And um, that just goes back to me of, of Acts being this apologetic work, maybe written by a doctor. It describes what part of his body was healed specifically. Um, but we're, we're going to call out like, hey, everyone saw that guy and got healed. So we're, 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 we're kind of naming the, the historical development of the church. We're tying it to specific events. Well, and then, uh, you know, it, after that healing happens, you see uh, that the people were amazed and astonished and in awe. And uh, the, the man is holding on to Peter and John. Um, and, of course, you know I love Peter's sermons and uh, yeah. getting, getting right to the point with these things. And uh, so... Um, he lifts his voice to the people again, and he, he says, you know, fellow Israelites. He's talking to his people uh, and trying to get them to, to see their story in the way that he sees it. And he calls right back uh, this other kind of mosaic reference. You know, when, when we see um, the Spirit come in chapter 2 and the, the, the tongues of fire that are not consuming them, uh, much like the burning bush, and, and we sort of get God speaking through them instead of through a bush. Again, uh, the way God introduced himself, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and that's what Peter leads with here. He's like, this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, of our ancestors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he turns that into a, another proclamation of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he said, it's by faith in this name that this man's been made strong. Uh, and references again, you know, you all know this guy. You you know that he can't walk. He sits by the gate and begs for money, but here he is um, leaping and praising God. I think the other part that stands out to me with these sermons is these uh, very theologically rich uh, things, um, but how much Jesus is connected into all of them. So, you know, we have references to Jesus being this chief cornerstone, uh, we have uh, Jesus is is this essence through which salvation comes, which I'm going to read my translation of Acts 3.21, um, or I'll start in verse 20. So the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Messiah appointed for you. That is Jesus. I mean, just in case you're confused of who we're talking about, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. I'm curious what your translation says there for verse 21. Yeah, verse 21 is um, heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God Mm. spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. But I think it's good to make that uh, reference to like, this is referring to Jesus because I think Jews would have thought that this was Joshua, if I'm not mistaken. Or Elijah. Right. Or yeah, someone, someone else we're waiting for. Right. But this is Jesus. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think it, it's really interesting to see the way that Peter keeps pulling at all of these different threads from, yeah. you know, he's, he's referencing 
uh, all five books of Moses. He's mm. referencing the Psalms. He's referencing the prophets, all of these different things. And he's pointing every bit of it back mm. to Jesus, yeah. uh, which, uh, you know, when we get to his next sermon, um, uh, of course, this miraculous healing gets Peter and John arrested because, of, of course, that's what you do with people who uh, help folks out. Mm. Uh, but they they arrest him and they put him put him in in jail until they can get a, get a hold of him the next day. And they ask them by what power, but in whose name have you done this? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Peter starts right back in on. The, on the name of Jesus, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that it's the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's specific about mm-hmm. which Jesus, because that was a somewhat common name uh, of the time. So he's specific. I mean that one, Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, mm-hmm. uh, whom you crucified. There he is again, not letting, especially now that he's talking to the the temple leaders, to the Sadducees and the elders, uh, you know, you guys crucified him. God raised him. And, uh, and of course, there he calls him the cornerstone, um, with uh, that reference to Psalm 118. Uh, and you know, I think that's another place um, where uh, Luke is really describing uh, kind of that. Um, what is the church? It's this mm-hmm. thing that's built on the cornerstone. Paul talks about later. He he calls Jesus the cornerstone, and he says that it's the church is built on. Christ as the cornerstone yeah. and on the apostles' teaching. And in, it's through those things that we've gone out and, and created these things. And he's talking to, obviously, a later audience um, far away from Jerusalem uh, with that same kind of thing. Well, I love that part. You, you referenced with Paul that as we studied for this, we were reading through in, in Act, Ephesians chapter 2. This Could you read that passage there? Because you'll, you'll be able to quote it better. Sure. Yeah, I've got it, got it up here. Um, it, you know, Paul is talking to a group in Ephesus who uh, they're made up of, of Jews and Gentiles who are coming together to be Christians, whatever that means. And they don't know. <laughs> they're trying to figure that out, and Paul's trying to explain it to them. And uh, he said, starting in Ephesians two seventeen, he said, So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows Mm. into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. I just love that. So that is Paul and Acts right here, right on the same page. <laughs> we are temples and we are, we are the place in which God dwells. We're, we're joined together by Jesus and we go out and we change everything. Hmm. Or in 12 is where we find it states, salvation is found in no one else where there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So here we're getting to the a salvation concept of, you know, what does it take to, you know, to have this, this eternal life? Now, I don't know if this is, is this the first reference, like explicit to this in the... To salvation? To salvation. No, we're, we're, so that's a statement and a phrase we're going to see throughout the Bible. We saw yeah. it earlier, just about that universal restoration and salvation. These, these ideas are connected, um, but... 
we're gonna we're getting very clear references here that it's connected to Jesus. You know, that's an interesting uh, an interesting thing. Whether we want to take that as a, a really exclusive statement, is mm-hmm. there something very unique about this church that Peter and John and later Paul are going to go off on this project to to found to uh, I, I guess they don't found the church you know the, Christ starts the church but uh, in this sort of institutional structural way that they're yeah. starting it there do, do they kind of have the secret sauce is that <laughs> what Peter's saying um, whatever he's saying I think he's saying that you know this Jesus uh, is is where salvation is. And just like we heard from Paul there in that quotation from Ephesians, that uh, here in in this teaching of the apostles, in this gathering of, of these uh, people who break bread together, mm-hmm. um, is where we get this idea that somehow in this coming together, we're all going to be saved. And this movement of Jesus is universal, and it's something we're all invited into. And if the world needs anything, this movement is so far-reaching that it can save everything. You know, mm-hmm. uh, to me, that's what this. This is this far-reaching statement that what we have here, what's happening here, will change the world. And by golly, why don't you join right in with us and change the world with us? You know, it's interesting too that that healing that got them in all the trouble to start with um, took place at the gate. You know, it wasn't like they were uh, tiptoeing in toward the Holy of Holies in the center Mm. of the temple. They were out at the gate where everybody was allowed to be. And that's where the the name of Jesus was able to work in power uh, and heal this man. So when we look towards the end of chapter 4, looking specifically at verse 32... Um, you know, it starts off with all the believers were one, one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. So we're kind of flashing back a little bit to chapter two, where we re- mentioned briefly about socialism, um, <laughs> <laughs> getting a little bit into politics, but, you know, we're, you know, thinking about how, how are Christians or, you know, followers at this time, I guess they weren't called Christians. Christians quite yet, but how are they living with one another? Are they mm-hmm. how are they sharing of their possessions? Um, are they providing you know what the those around them need and being a service to others? Um, and I think that uh, and there was a comment earlier when we were preparing for this, Robbie. You made about Barnabas. Oh yeah, uh, you know you've got to again. Luke is sort of walking us out of this story with this nice, warm, fuzzy um, feeling. But this time, uh, we've got to have the kind of screechy violins building in the background uh, that we'll leave off for next time, where Barnabas... uh, You know, clearly these are folks who are not just on the margins of society, at least not all of them. Barnabas has a field to sell, and he does it. And he sells it and uh, brings the money and lays it at the feet of the apostles, uh, and that's yeah. a wonderful way to kind of close um, these these kind of healing activities, uh, but it does make us wonder what might happen next. Uh, and yeah. uh, we can tell Barnabas left all 
of the money at the apostles' feet, and we'll learn about what happens if you don't do that. The church helps people, and there's good ways to do it, and there's bad ways to do it. Bad ways when you make it a profit. <laughs> exactly. So um, a cautionary tale for us all. Yeah, that's going to bring up a lot of questions as we look next. But I think going back then, you know, all of these chapters that we read, remembering this is in that middle of the story. So what it means to be a church, this is it. Like mm-hmm. what you read right here. And the whole group believe we're of one heart and soul. No one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. Common? Common? Uh, with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon all of them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the, the proceeds of what they sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and they distributed it to each as they had need. That's powerful. It's kind of convicting. Yes. <laughs> it is. Hard to do. Not everyone does it. But, you know, I think that it is interesting that when it ends with, you know, laying it at the apostles' feet, you know, obviously that's not meant specifically for the apostles to use, but for like the greater church to use. Um, and so I think that's very convicting for us all as we go about our walk. Thank you for joining us here with the Axe Project on Ascension Cast. As always, you are welcome to join us on Sunday mornings at 9.15 in the Parish Hall, and you can find our reading schedule online at knoxvilleascension.org adults. Next session, we'll be looking at chapters 5 and 6 of Acts. We look forward to learning with you. Blessings and peace. <laughs>